even in the most difficult of times, there is good. We just, we really need to look for it, whether it's the tulips blooming in our yard or there's less pollution or how happy our pets are because we're always around. Being able to acknowledge that good is so critical right now for the health of ourselves, for the health of our kids, and for our brains and for our bodies. Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast, all about reinventing your health with safer, cheaper, more effective natural solutions and powerful lifestyle changes so that you become the CEO of your health. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder. About three weeks ago, I got my full hormone panel done. Due to having Hajimoto's thyroiditis, I check my thyroid numbers at least once every 90 days, and I often run other labs too, just to make sure everything looks good. Oprah always says, know your numbers, and I 100% agree. Knowing that our hormone system is crazy, intricately connected, I always want a full view of what's going on in my body. Now, if you are wondering which hormone labs you should consider testing along with why you should test them, I have got you covered. Check out last Friday's Q&A episode where I cover everything you need to know to request the right labs to test your hormones. I will have the link in this episode 197 in the show notes, or you can go to drmarisa.com slash podcast. Now, one of the tests I recommend for a comprehensive look at your hormones is the Dutch test, which stands for Dried Urine Test of Comprehensive Hormones. When I got my Dutch test results back, the first thing that I noticed is like my eyes go directly to this little area on the write-up. I noticed that my cortisol levels were a bit off, and full disclosure, my cortisol levels are always a bit off. It's consistent daily lifestyle habits that shift how our cortisol is utilized. And if you want to know more about getting your cortisol levels back in balance, check out episode 195. Now, I know I've been covering a lot of ground on these topics lately due to the many questions that I get every week, and I totally understand why you have a lot of questions. Goodness knows when this was first happening to me and my cortisol levels were off and I was feeling chronic fatigue and all the things that were going on with my hormones, I absolutely wanted answers too. Now, I'm not going to pretend with you that I've always been on top of my stress. It's why I talk about it so, so much. Managing my stress is one of the most difficult things I do for my health. It is so easy to get caught up in my business that I love so much, to get caught up in the deadlines that we have for our business, and to get caught up in the personal obligations to take care of everyone that I want to take care of. Let's be honest, there are always things that need to get done. And I love to get stuff done. That is just who I am as a person. So I have always grappled with writing that line around being stressed and being passionate and being diligent and being disciplined, all of those things while still trying to take care of myself. Now, when I spoke to my doctor who helps me manage my thyroid care, I asked, and I already knew the answer. Do you ever ask a question that you know the answer to? Well, this was one of those moments. I asked, are my cortisol levels due to long-standing damage from years of going full throttle? And the answer was a resounding yes. Now, I know how to read a Dutch test lab report, and I know that my doctor does too. And it's so fascinating because sometimes you just want that validation about what you're seeing. And when I see the needle move just a little bit incrementally in the right direction over the course of a couple of years, 
I know in my heart of heart and in my gut that this is long standing damage that I'm still working through every single day. Now for the past year, I have been managing very strictly my cortisol, my DHEA, and other important hormones, and the progress, it's been slower than I expected. And here's why I'm disclosing this to you today. Stress is damaging. It wears down your body on a cellular level and it is difficult to heal. And when you're used to stress and you're easily triggered because of perceived stress, it's even more difficult. When it comes to stress, we need to focus on the root causes, the stress response system. In case you want to dive deeper into that topic, because you know I cover stress a lot on this podcast, because I really think that it's one of the top five root causes for why women in particularly struggle so much with their hormones, with their weight, with their cellular resilience. I mean, so many things are impacted by the amount of stress that we're dealing with every single day, especially these last several months. Now, if you want to dive deeper into this and unlock all the layers of what I feel will get you out of that stress response system, check out episode 178, Are You Addicted to Stress? Because you know I was once upon a time. If so, how to banish stress with three simple strategies. Now, if you're concerned that stress is causing you fatigue and burnout, let me tell you, it is. And today's episode is dedicated to understanding how your brain changes due to stress and what we can do to change the stress response system at the source, right? At the amygdala, at the hypothalamus, at the limbic system. That's where we need to make the changes. Now, I invited Dr. Kristen Race, who loves to study the brain chemistry, loves to look at the amygdala and how we can make powerful changes. And guess what you're going to find? It's lifestyle, right? What she shares, oh my gosh, I felt like she was literally using my words as she was doing this interview with me today. So I'm really excited to not only share what is really going on with the stress response system, but then we're going to be sharing our best strategies for you to combat stress on a daily basis. Now, I'm excited for this conversation, so let's dive into it on how to manage your brain chemistry during times of stress and worry. But before I do, I want to quickly sing Dr. Kristen Race's praises. A self-described brain geek, Dr. Kristen has spent the last 12 years exploring the nexus between mindfulness and neuroscience. She's the author of Mindful Parenting, the founder of Mindful Life, and the head of Mindfulness, a pioneer in integrative beauty. Dr. Race has been featured in the New York Times, NPR, CNN, immense many, and she has trained over 50,000 leaders on how to integrate mindfulness into their practice. Let's welcome her on. Welcome to the Essentially You podcast, Dr. Kristen Race. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Marisa. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. We're going to be talking about really how to balance our brain for a more balanced life. Now, before we get into this, because I know a lot of people are feeling in terms of their mental health and just kind of managing this moment a little bit off kilter, so I'd love for you to share a little bit about your story and what inspired you or what was that defining moment that had you get into this beautiful work? Oh, that's an interesting question. And I don't know if I can pinpoint it to one defining moment, but it was almost like a storm of things that came together. It was started about 15 years ago, and I was 
finishing my dissertation, I was studying the neurology of stress. <laughs> and ironically, I was trying to finish this dissertation while I was working full time. I had a toddler. I was pregnant with my second child. I was remodeling my house and I was trying to do everything possible to finish this dissertation before my son was born. And after my son was born, I never really recovered from, he was born via C-section and I had a really hard time recovering from that surgery. Long story short, I ended up being diagnosed with an autoimmune disease that was likely triggered by stress. And I'm certain it was from the stress of my pregnancy. So I had that kind of going on with my own health, and I'd always been fascinated by the practices of yoga and mindfulness. At the same time, I was studying the neuroscience of, of stress, so I was very intrigued with how our brains function and how mindfulness can impact the way our brains function. And then I was working in schools, so I was becoming increasingly aware of what I would call a stress epidemic in young kids. And I started to get really curious about why that was happening. And a combination of things happened. One, I created a school's program, Mindfulness for Kids, and started training teachers in that program. I wrote a book called Mindful Parenting because I became pretty convinced that this generation of stressed out kids was coming from a generation of stressed out parents. And from there, my work expanded and kind of snowballed into working with corporations, first responders, medical professionals, parents, all around building resilience to stress using brain-based mindfulness practices. So there's really three, I would say, core pillars to my work. One being neuroscience. Everything comes back to the way our brains function for me. Number two being mindfulness and how mindfulness can impact the ways in which our brains function. And then the third piece being that small changes can make a really big difference. So I am all about things that we can integrate into our existing lives, into our days. I'm not the sit on a cushion for 40 minutes twice a day type of mindfulness guru, but more what are some simple things that you can incorporate that can make a big difference. Hmm. I love that. Talk to me about, you know, really quickly, I'd love to hear more about the mindful parenting, kind of how you discovered that connection between us having more stressed out children because we ourselves are more stressed than ever. Right. Well, you know, at first it, I thought just, I, I began to think, why are these kids so stressed? And I was working in two schools. One was a wealthy independent school and these kids were incredibly anxious and depressed. And, you know, at first glance, they, there would be no reason why they should be in such a state of stress, given the socioeconomic place where they were coming from. And then I was working in a, a school that was high risk, 95% free and reduced lunch. And those kids were stressed as well, but there was really no difference in the level of stress. And so I got to get really really curious about why, you know, these kids don't even have meals at home. And then you're having this, like this incredible pervasive stress across all cultures, across, across all economic brackets. And what I identified was there were so many, what I would call hidden stressors in our environment at that time, things have changed a lot in the last two months. 
but uh, kids being overscheduled, overstimulated, 24-hour accessibility. So there were a lot of things that were causing their stress, but the biggest factor was how stressed the parents were. You know, we have mirror neurons in our brains that reflect the emotions we see around us. So these kids were picking up on the parental stress, and that was the biggest factor in, in triggering them. And how I got to that was by noticing how stressed kids, really young kids were, like preschool and kindergarten age kids. And I thought, okay, this can't be just college pressures or extracurricular pressures. There's more going on here. And that was really when the parental stress kind of came to the forefront. Mm. That makes sense. So kids just being in a scenario where their parents are feeling stressed, whether it's about work or deadlines or whatever that is, kids are picking up on that energy. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Okay. I just, I wanted to just speak on to that. I know I've got some other questions to ask, but I wanted to just, cause I know right now more than ever, a lot of people are feeling very stressed. I know within the families, you know, a lot of, a lot of children are feeling that everyone's feeling that just curious about the impact that that's going to have longstanding. As you mentioned before, your feelings around your autoimmune condition being connected to stress, I see that so often, especially things like Hajimoto's thyroiditis, or I see that in lupus, or I see that in endometriosis. And so when you had said that, I, I, I knew I had seen that in so many of my patients and women that I've worked with. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, it's not uncommon, I think, for our stress to you know, we know 70 to 90% of doctor visits are linked to stress in some way. So it, it did make a lot of sense to me when I had my diagnosis. Although at the time, I think I was just living off the stress hormones, cortisol and adrenaline and thought I could push, push through. But eventually that takes a toll on our mm -hmm. immune system. It absolutely does. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I've noticed, and I think you've noticed too, is that oftentimes people turn into external solutions when they're feeling out of balance inside of their lives. Can you speak to why that is? And what are some of these external solutions? I think a lot of us can think of those right now, but I'd love for you to dive into some of the most common ones that you see. Sure. And I can give you from firsthand experience when shortly after I received my diagnosis, despite the fact that I knew all of this about stress and the, the connection between mind and body, my solution was we are going to pack up the kids. We're going to move out of the busyness of Denver and up to the mountains of Steamboat Springs where I currently live. And I thought I could just create this little bubble around my family. And it didn't take long for me to realize that that's not possible. You can't, it doesn't matter what job you have, what where you live, school, where you live, where your kids go to school, nope. what your house looks like. You cannot create resilience from the outside. And, and that was really the pivoting moment of what can we do to build resilience from the inside? I did that as well. I moved from the Bay Area, San Francisco and Oakland to La Jolla, California, thinking that if I wasn't in the busyness of it all, that the busyness would slow down. But I was creating all the busyness. Right. And especially now with it, you know, it can creep into our lives in so many ways. Two months ago, what I was dealing with was a lot of stressors related to our hectic, chaotic, busy lives, you know, 24 hour accessibility to work, traffic, kids with really busy schedules and overcrowded Google calendar. And it's, 
it, yeah, obviously a lot has shifted since then. And one of the interesting things that has come out of that, I think, is by removing that busyness, a lot of people are feeling somewhat at ease right now with the calmer, slower pace, not having the runaround, having to get people a million different places. Not to say that this the current situation is a good situation by any means, but I do think that it is giving people time to reflect on the kind of life and the kind of pace that works for them and their family and maybe make some decisions about that moving forward. I totally agree with that. I was yeah curious as to in this time what we can be doing and I know we're going to get to that as well. First I want to dive into some of the research that you've discovered and really between finding balance and managing your own brain chemistry. So I know we we spoke to how so often we look towards those external solutions, but really it's what's going on inside of our mind. How do we create this within our own inner self to create calm? So talk to me about what have you found in that relationship? What what is the what is the result of us managing our own brain chemistry? Yeah. So I work with a lot of people who want balance. You know, I want to just find some balance in my life. And what I discovered is it's not about creating a perfect work-life balance. It's about balancing your brain. And when we're in times of stress, regardless of whether those stressors are because of hectic, busy, high-pressure lives, or whether it's dealing with the stressors of a pandemic, our survival mechanisms in our brain are stimulated. And when we get into, I call that the alarm state, um, where those mechanisms are stimulated, we tend to feel anxious, irritable, overwhelmed. We may feel scattered. We don't sleep well at night. And we're very reactive. Now, the other state that we can spend a lot of time in is what I call the smart state. And that's driven by our prefrontal cortex, So that's the part of our brain responsible for things like problem solving, decision making, forward thinking. It's where we process positive emotions and it helps us to think clearly and engage effectively with the people around us. So as you can imagine, when we're overly stressed and we're constantly in that alarm state, we can't access this problem solving, forward thinking, positive part of our brain. But by engaging in some simple practices, routines, and rituals that stimulate our prefrontal cortex, we bring our brains back into balance so we can feel balanced wherever we are, whether that's in a parenting situation, a work situation, a relational situation. As long as we can access that smart prefrontal cortex part of our brain, we feel like we have a more balanced reaction and more balanced approach to whatever's facing us. Hmm. So I really focus a lot on how you can strengthen the structure in your brain to create a balanced brain and then that creates a balanced life. Well, I'd love to speak into that. So here on the podcast, we talk a lot about stress. We talk a lot about the amygdala being on fire. We talk a lot about the stress response system and how we upregulate the HPA access and what that does in terms of our hormones. And then I always like to talk about ways in which that we can move into, well, we can reduce that stress response system. Um, and so I'd love to hear some of the, and I think this is true, Dr. Kristen Rice, and you could speak to this more than I can. 
But unconsciously, we, we, are, we can go into a state of perceived stress many, many times a day. And uh, especially with an overbooked schedule or a text message you get from your mom or, you know, you're running late to something. It's just a million things can happen where you just feel like you're thrown off balance and you immediately go into that kind of survival state where your chemistry is really minding you versus you minding your chemistry. And so I always feel like people need some tools really to kind of move themselves back into, like you talked about, that smart state or even just a a more calming state of being where they're able to feel like they're more grounded, they're making more, less reactive decisions, that their their breath rate is, is lower. Talk to me about ways in which that not only longevity over time, we can create that, but are there ways that we can shift into that when we kind of know that we're in the danger zone? Absolutely. So we can talk about both those things. So for me, it starts in the morning. I am a firm believer that how you start your day sets the tone for your day. So if you wake up in the morning to the alarm on your smartphone and you immediately dive into all of the red badges and text notifications and news headlines, that is right instantly going to start to stimulate the alarm centers of your brain, the amygdala. On the other hand, if you can wake up to an alarm on alarm clock and start your day with a breathing practice, with a cup of warm lemon water while looking outside, with your skincare routine, I actually work with a skincare company and we're designing products uh, specifically to incorporate mindfulness into that routine, a gratitude practice as as you wash your face or a breathing practice then you start the day in a different state. And so I think that is like the the conditioning of your brain in the same way you might jog every day. Waking up in the morning and stimulating your prefrontal cortex is going to be huge for how you progress through the rest of the day. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't going to be stressors throughout the day and we're not going to get triggered. So in those situations, I like to turn to what I call micro mindfulness practices So an example of a micro practice would be um, a a three breath micro practice is an example. So I use this, say back when I was going to yoga quite often, I would arrive at my yoga mat and often I would be 20 minutes into class and realize I hadn't been present for one second because of all that I was lost in thoughts in my head. And or I will use it to begin a meeting when I want to get present. And the way it works is it's just three breaths. You take one breath in and you relax as you breathe out. You take a second breath in and you notice areas of tension in your body and let them go as you breathe out. And on the third breath in, you ask yourself, what is most important right now as you breathe out? And when we're stressed, when we get triggered, we only breathe in the top quarter of our lungs. So just by taking one, two, three bigger, deeper breaths, we create a relaxation response in our brain, signals our prefrontal cortex to come back online. And so doing that throughout the day, being aware of those triggers and doing those little practices throughout the day. Right now I'm practicing relaxation breathing while I wash my hands because I'm washing my hands all the time. And so it's, okay, inhale to the count of four, exhale to the count of six. 
doing that twice, just increasing that exhalation, I, it kind of gives little boosts to my prefrontal cortex throughout the day. Mm, absolutely. So lots I love of it. little things you can do. Um, you know, I, I like to do a meditation in the morning. I like to incorporate mindfulness into my skincare routine in the morning and evening. And then I have lots of these little kind of boosters that I'll do when I start to notice myself getting triggered. I love that. I'm not sure if you ever heard of a technique called aromatic dressing using essential oils and a little bit different than a skincare routine, but it's a bowl of your favorite, let's say it's lavender, clary sage, I don't know, whatever it is. And it's like a Jehovah oil and you have it in a bowl. And as you put it on your feet and you move up to your extremities, you have affirmations of gratitude that you say while you put the oils on. It's one of my favorite rituals to do. A little bit different than skincare, but because it's, it's fully intentional for, it's like, that's a part of the activity. I love it. And that's, we get so much access to the present moment through our senses, right? Mm -hmm. So smell is a big one for me. I do the same thing with an oil. Sometimes I'll use that in a three breath, might just to rub it on your hands and do that three breath practice of just, you know, really bringing in the, the sense and the sensations associated are a great way to get to the moment. Mm -hmm. I love morning rituals. I think you're absolutely right, especially for, for women too. I feel like women get right into all the things that need to happen for the family in the morning and, and having a morning ritual to, to set the tone for our day is so important. Do you also advocate for evening rituals as well? Because I remember back in the day, I would literally Tasmanian devil my way into the bedroom and try to go to sleep. Like I would literally run and jump into bed. Like that was going to get me to bed. Yeah. <laughs> Because my day was so long. And I was just curious to see if, if you find that that wind down is equally as important. Because I know that that mental chatter and that worry, the concern around not getting your checklist completely done and whoever gets their checklist completely done. So I was just curious if you had some ideas around that. A hundred percent. I'm huge on rituals. And I actually, I focus on morning rituals transition rituals and evening rituals. And I designed a planner and a huge piece of it is around these rituals because they're the ways that we stimulate our prefrontal cortex throughout the day. So an evening ritual, the main thing is the, the repetitiveness of it and, and doing something for yourself and bringing your awareness to the present moment. So whether that's through a gratitude practice is great because it stimulates our left prefrontal cortex. When we go to bed and we're stressed and we're that alarm, the amygdala is stimulated, your body's not ready to go to sleep because you're in survival mode. So somehow we have to stimulate this part of our brain to and we're able to relax and go to sleep. So gratitude is a great way to do that. A practice called three good things is a great way to do that. Similar to gratitude, just acknowledging three good experiences in your day. And I like to do this with somebody. So to have a partner that I will text my three good things to, and they'll text theirs back. A mindful shower, again, getting into those senses, smelling the soaps, smelling the oils, incorporating it into your skincare routine, maybe a cup of tea. But those these are great for our sleep and our sleep quality and our self-care, especially in times of stress during challenging times. And another thing I, I like to talk about are transition rituals. So for your working moms and dads, obviously, but creating some kind of ritual to transition you from your work self to your home self. 
that's providing a little bit of self-care. For me, it's a cup of tea at the end of the day as I go through what I call my digital sunset, which is shutting down all that stuff at the end of the day. And this is huge for, especially when we're all working from home, to be able to walk from this desk to outside that door where my family is. I don't have a lot of time to transition. So to be intentional about that is incredibly beneficial and effective. I love that. Last question I have for you is, you know, as you're talking, you know, so many parents are home right now, um, especially all the family is home right now more than ever. I was just on a call and I was just asking everyone on that call, you know, how many of you are still at home and everybody was still at home, even as things began to slowly kind of, well, I wouldn't call anything going back to normal, but definitely more, a little bit more lax, but everyone still feels like they need to be home right now. What are ways that parents or families can be more mindful bring more mindfulness and balance into the home that engages the entire family? How do we show up for our family in a way that doesn't put stress on them? And, you know, cause I know that everyone can feel their energy. One of the things that I always tell people, a, a key indicator, if your stress response system is on, cause many of us don't even know that we are living in stress. We don't realize that we've activated it. I know for me, for many years, I was a stressaholic. I was addicted to stress. I also have an autoimmune disease connected to the amount of stress. I had chronic fatigue for years. That's why I went into women's hormone so much because I saw so many women like myself struggling and, and the repercussions of them just always on the go. But one of the things I had no idea is I always thought that stress was my slight edge. I leveraged it everywhere. I thought it was the thing that got me like just a little bit in just further into the game. And I really paid the price for it later. And so one of the ways that I tell people, you know, especially women, how you can tell if you're in a perceived stress response mode is how is your family responding to you? You, how are they picking up on that energy? Are they kind of backing away? Or are you feeling a little bit more pushback from them? Like, you know, and that's a great way to know is how we're treating other people. Um, if we're stressed, it's much more easy to not treat people as well as we would want, especially if we woke up that day thinking we were going to show up with love and compassion and patience quite obvious when you're stressed, it's really difficult to show up in that way. And so I have a feeling that a lot of families are feeling that tension because the parents are feeling so stressed. Absolutely. And you're, I was a stress addict too, I think. I thought that was the thing that was going to get me through. And a little bit of stress does mo motivate us. We need that. But when it's too much, that's when it puts us on the, the downward side of that curve for our health and our happiness. You know, one of the things that I think is really one of the kind of silver linings, I guess I would call it, that I'm feeling right now is the opportunity. I have two teenagers and we have family dinners every night now. And I've always been a big proponent of the family dinner, but especially when kids get into their teenage years and they're doing different activities, it gets really difficult. And now we're sitting together every night and eating. And that is a tremendous opportunity for meaningful conversation, a time to connect when we all do feel so isolated. And a great thing to do around the dinner table is to practice gratitude. You know, what is one thing that you appreciate about today? What is one good thing that you experienced today? What is an act of kindness that you witnessed or initiated? Or with younger kids, when my kids were younger, we actually, I have it on my desk here. We made a gratitude jar 
and they decorated it and we keep it on the kept it on the dining room table with scratch paper and we would write down things we were grateful for at the beginning of a meal or throughout the day and about once a week when the jar is full we pass it around and read pull out and read what everybody had written so it was a great way one to keep the kids at the dinner table a little longer but also to start developing that gratitude muscle and that appreciation because even in the most difficult of times there is good we just we really need to look for it whether it's the tulips blooming in our yard or there's less pollution or how happy our pets are because we're always around being able to acknowledge that good is so critical right now for the health of ourselves for the health of our kids and for our brains and for our bodies Thank you so much. I just love that. You're sitting at the table doing dinner. We absolutely have that ability to do so. And then even, you know, what I love so much is our kids are so impressionable, especially as they're younger, helping them to set up their own morning and evening routines before they go to bed um, so that they get used to it. I mean, I know I didn't learn about morning and evening rituals until much later in life. And I just think it's such a gift to be able to give to our children so that they have that as a way to, to start their day and to reset their evening. I know so many of us are on electronics before going to bed. And so I love, I do, I have also a electronic shut down well before I go to bed. Dr. Race, where can we check you out? Where can we learn more about you? Sure. Well, you can check out my website is kristenrace.com. And that has all kinds of information about my programs and practices and speaking and webinars. Uh, Mindfullifetoday.com has a lot of information about our school's programs and business programs. And I also am the head of mindfulness for Salvasa Beauty. So if you're interested in how you can integrate mindfulness into your skincare routine, you definitely want to check that out. And then finally, Dr. Kristen Race on Instagram. I'm always throwing daily tips up there, especially right now during COVID for mindful parenting, working from home, all the kinds of things that we were just talking about. Well, thank you so much for joining me today and sharing your incredible wisdom. I'm so grateful you're doing this work in the world. And I feel you in so many ways. I've definitely have experienced the stress and then what it feels like to be on the other side. And I'm glad that you were able to turn that into something so incredible and to help so many of us out there. Thank you. And I love the work you're doing as well. Thanks so much for having me today. Absolutely. Have a wonderful day. You too. As I mentioned earlier, one of the biggest concerns women are reaching out to me literally right now is that feeling of being stressed and feeling overwhelmed. And for good reason. But that doesn't mean we can't control how we approach every moment of the day, how we handle those moments. You know, how stress has a major implication on our health is what we do in that moment. And what I've learned is that if we can just take a moment recognize what's going on, take a deep breath, we can actually change our chemistry in an instant. But it takes practice and it takes awareness. But honestly, the alternative, well, I just don't want anyone to have to go into the alternative. I've been in the alternative and it is not pretty. So the best tools that I can give you for this episode and for stress in general, number one is the Essential Oils Hormone Solution book. You'll find that stress is integrated throughout that entire book because at the end of the day, I know it's a major player for how we feel, how exhausted we are, how we're functioning in the day. 
Now, if you want to start in right now, if you don't have the book, I will have the link for the book for Amazon. You can go check it out there. But also, I am going to start by having you listen to episode 178. I mentioned it a little bit earlier on. And basically, are you addicted to stress? If so, here are three simple strategies that you can do. And you may not even feel like you may be addicted to stress, or you may not even know that you're being triggered by perceived stressors. But if there is any seedling or any doubt in your mind that that is definitely playing a role in how you're feeling every night when you're going to bed or how you feel every day when you wake up, definitely go and listen to episode 178. Thank you so much for stopping by and listening into the Essentially You podcast. Coming up next, I'm going to be sharing the top foods that create massive inflammation in the body and how to eliminate them safely so that they can literally, you can feel the impact that they have on your health and that you can start to begin to heal that inflammatory process. Until then, have an amazing day. See you soon. 